0: Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for joining us here on the program. As we come your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., we do stream live at those times at richarddugan.com, and we have the podcasts. We call, I call them, broadcast podcasts. that are available on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, and many other locations. Folks are reposting too, and I'm grateful for the fact that they're doing that. It's great to get an expanded um, audience through other, other sources there. Uh, we also want to remind you that uh, you can go to our guest website. We'll be giving that uh, out to you in just a moment. So that you can continue your evolutionary process, continue transforming yourself. Uh, and uh, we also ask you if you can do so to support this finan- the program financially. Uh, we have PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. And uh, then we uh, ask you to do that. And if you can, great. If you're not able to, we'll take energetic support as well. Well, uh, we also want you to participate with us in 2020 the year of perfect vision. We want you to spend some time going within uh, finding that peaceful, calm space where you can relax, where you can calm down. I know I can use some of that myself these days uh, and um, also get the insight and inspiration as well as guidance. That's what it's there for. And uh, we've got many programs coming up in the coming uh, few months of 2020 that we're going to be talking about just that very subject. But today, today we are going to talk about some keys. You may or may not have them. We're going to talk about the seven secrets, actually, that are sort of like keys of responsive leadership. Our guest is Jackie uh, Jenkins Scott. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. It is, I'm, v- I'm actually very excited to talk to you about all of this.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you and uh, excited to have this conversation.
0: Well, I'll tell you, um, the subject or the conversation, I should say, of uh, leadership, let alone responsive leadership uh, has obviously been on the minds of many people, not just in this country, but around the world, probably more importantly in the last four to six years. Uh, But obviously going back even further, we've had people who have been in positions of leadership uh, at the highest levels of government in institutions around the world. Um, and I will tell you that as an operations manager for uh, nearly 40 years at different stations, the first station where I was the operations manager, uh, I took on, and this is the phrase I used, uh, I took on what I referred to back then as the Hitlerian mode of leadership. You're going to do it because I told you to do it.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: I also found out, Th- that didn't work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I shifted and so I said, okay,
1: you wanted to be a responsive leader.
0: Uh, I, exactly. So I said to my coworker who refused to do, do the task I asked him to do. I said, okay, um, I need you to do this task because the rest of the staff needs blah, 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 blah. The client needs blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and, you know kind of really toned it down when it comes to leadership and these seven secrets that we will talk about is is everyone born with the potential for leadership or is that something that is in the dna or in the genetics of that individual
1: You know, there's this this saying that a lot of people say, you know, everyone is born with potential. Everyone is not born with opportunity. And so we all have potential. And I think if you think back to your childhood, we can, we can all think about somebody in our class, in our group, these little kids who were clearly what I call negative leaders. They, they had negative energy that could really change the whole room that could change the whole group. Um, so, you know, there, there, that was potential to be good or that had the potential to be negative. Um, but we talk about it in education a lot that we all have potential. We all don't have opportunity.
0: If, One is given the opportunity. What are those opportunities that are needed for one to become not just an effective uh, leader, but also a responsive leader?
1: Yeah. What are the opportunities needed? No, Richard, when I started thinking about my book, and this is after decades and decades of being in leadership roles, really starting from high school and I, uh, even throughout co- in college, I was, you know, leader in my sorority. I all, always had some leadership roles and um, became a, a um, you know, leader of a nonprofit organization you know, in my early twenties. And uh, so I think as we uh, season, as <laughs> young people like to say we mature, we have some opportunities to reflect. And people would always ask me, you know, why don't you write about leadership? You've been in, in these different roles, you've taken on some extraordinary leadership opportunities. And so that's sort of that reflection uh, after I stepped down as a college president, uh, it gave me an opportunity to really reflect on my career reflect on leadership and what I think about leadership, recognizing that, you know, if you look up, put the word, Google the word leadership articles, there, there's over, you know, thousands and thousands of articles on leadership, thousands and thousands of books on leadership. And we know that people have been writing about leadership for centuries. So I'm thinking, well, what do I have to say that's different? And I really started off by thinking about, you know, first of all, what drives leaders? And, and I, you know, I've come to the conclusion that it is really our core values. It is really, um, you know, we are who we are because of all the experiences that we have had in, in our lives. And um, I, I reflected on my own life, uh, growing up uh, in a, you know, what, what many people might call a traditional African-American family, you know, roots in the South, uh, really understand and migrating to the North uh, to work uh, in uh, my parents, um, uh, worked and migrated to the North to work in the automobile industry um, my father was a small contractor. I grew up very, very close to my grandparents, uh, uh, both maternal and uh, uh, paternal grandparents on uh, rural Arca, who were in rural Arkansas. And um, I, I uh, reflecting on all of this, uh, we grew up with the understanding, you know, hard work, honesty, integrity, Uh, As an African-American, we grew up with this notion that we had to work harder, we had to be smarter, we had to, you know, work twice as hard to get uh, half as far along. All of these things were kind of ingrained in me as a young person, uh, uh, understanding the value of, of, you know, uh, God. And all of these things sort of shaped uh, the person that I became. Uh, starting as a young child. So we all have some experiences that shape our our lives. And so I thought about what are those, you know, key attributes that I think contribute to what I call responsive leadership, Richard, which is um, in my judgment, responsive leadership really talks about how we make decisions and it's based on the humanity of the people that we are engaged with. Our company, our organization, our club, our group— whoever it is—we have our team. Whoever it is, we have responsibility for. Now, some people, you know, in the corporate world, would say, "Well, you know, this is soft. You know, this is soft." But I contend that uh, you can be a hard-nosed business person, and you can watch the bottom line. You can have all those core values of growth and, and um, you know shareholder value, et cetera, et cetera, and still be a responsive leader. And so I, I talk about in my book, Seven Secrets of Responsive Leadership, um, what, what is it that makes a leader a responsive leader? Uh, a leader that is um, making his or her decisions based on the humanity of the institution, the organization, its historical saga, the people, its mission, its values, what it stands for. And uh, I start off, uh, Richard, by talking about what I call the big four, four attributes that I think are crucial and key to responsive leadership. And and what are those four attributes? Um, The first for me is curiosity. A responsive leader really Um, is curious about the world around him, intellectually curious, he or she will want to, if you're in a company, you want to know what the competitors are doing. If you're in a company, you want to know how we make our our product uh, the best. Are we delivering on our product? You're going to want to be driven by data. You want to care about, you're curious about the people that you work with and that you are surrounded with mm-hmm. uh, so curiosity drives the ability. Uh, second of all, my second uh, big four is humility. Uh, if you're not curious, it's hard to be humble. Yeah, and and you you understand that as a leader, you don't have all the answers. You found that out in your first example uh, <laughs> when you talked about your your colleagues. You with your your authoritarian approach and you found out that that's not going to get you success. So humility says, you know what? I can learn from some other people. I can, um, uh, I really welcome the idea of uh, surrounding myself with people who are smarter than me. Um, That's one of my uh, core rules that I've got to find people and surround myself with people who are uh, smarter than me and that's humility and recognizing that none of us got to where we got alone you know we're, we're the building blocks stepping stones uh, for those that came before us now that's very very critical and core to me in terms of my uh, my core values as an African-American woman, understanding the struggles that came before me and that, that humility then allows you to, to experience empathy. Because uh, we know that empathy uh, allows us, sometimes we can't walk exactly in someone else's shoes, but the ability to to be empathetic will allow us uh, to exercise in a very, very positive and direct way curiosity and humility, and then finally resilience. Um, this ability to understand that uh, you know this too shall pass, uh, that uh, we have to step in and keep stepping and we'll get through this. So those are my four kind of core core values, Richard. And when I talk with people, I ask, and so I will ask you, my friend,
0: mm-hmm. uh, what do you think of those core values? I think they're great. Values? I will say that I had an experience this morning as uh, prior to our conversation, uh, where um, I did not show real uh, leadership uh, qualities, Uh, as I was driving my wife to her job before uh, walking to work. And um, I got really upset at uh, somebody, and this was in a parking lot, because I, 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 for some reason, I I can't say that I always follow the rules, but I'm a stickler for them. Mm -hmm. And... I was waving this person on saying, please move so that I can move. And they were waving me saying, no, go ahead. And they were being nice. And my father in law my uh, late ex father in law, when he was teaching me how to drive, I was 38 at the time, by the way, Mm -hmm. um, he told me, whatever you do when you're driving, don't be nice. Now, that doesn't mean be mean that. Now, here's the here's the reason why he says, because being nice will get you killed he says, when you start being nice, you're not following the rules of the road. This is what he meant.
1: Uh. If you
0: follow the rules of the road, you don't have to worry about being nice because you're not going to be in anybody's way Mm -hmm. and you're going to be doing the things. And so when someone else has the right of way, I want to wave them on. It's okay. I appreciate the kindness, but the problem is that's not the rule of the road. Yeah. You ride on, you drive on the right hand side of the road.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. You go the speed limit. You give, uh, you give people who are walking in a, a crosswalk the right of way. You don't try to scooch forward for more and more and more and more and more until they're out of your way. You sit in your lane. You don't commit to the turn until you can make the turn. Mm-hmm. And if you miss your exit, work it out later. Don't cross three lanes of traffic, get off the freeway. Yes. <laughs> We've seen people try to do that. <laughs> oh yeah. And I get that. And of course this is part of, I don't know, uh, maybe there's a little bit of OCD in me possibly, but uh, it's like, if you would just go and follow the rules of the road. And if you don't know what they are, get yourself a driver's manual, please. Mm-hmm. Because it's all in there. If you don't know, and if I'm wrong, I want to learn where I'm wrong so that I can do the same. But the problem is, is right now, whether where, pe- where people are, uh, they're not, they're they're disjointed because of where we are in this world today, in 2020. And I understand that, I get that, but we've all got to wake up. We just we just do. Otherwise, we're going to have really pr- real problems, not just on the roads, but in our homes and my wife was very up she well she actually stayed very calm she says calm down richard it's all right richard just take it easy richard and i just i kind of i i said no i'm tired of people not following the rules and making things difficult because if they had just kept going there wouldn't have even been an incident i was i sat there and waited for the person for like 10 or 15 seconds and i honked my horns and i waved them on (laughs) And they kept waving me into the parking space. I was like, oh, my gosh, come on, please. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and now, of course, afterwards, I apologized to my wife. I said, I'm sorry. And I told her I loved her, and I will see you this afternoon. And, and, uh, and then as I'm walking to work, I'm thinking, boy, that was not, that was not me. It's I like, where in the hell did that come from? But, see, that stuff crops up in leaders from time to time, it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious <laughs> because I'm an operations manager here. I do production for people. I produce audiobooks, books. I uh, record interviews such as this one, but I, I do this for other people as well. I record their interviews and produce them. And, and um, my boss has sort of instilled, my current boss has instilled in me the concept of um this is our philosophy here at this station we're here to serve
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and leadership yeah there's
1: the whole philosophy of leadership it's called servant leadership which is basically
0: the role of the leader is to be a servant yeah the role of Uh, the leader is to serve and that's part of the problem i i not so much with me because I, i do I do try every day to embody that, but there are those moments, like I just described where, okay, I understand the whole thing about an act of kindness, but this, from my perspective at that moment, this has nothing to do with an act of kindness from my perspective. Uh, And yet maybe from that person's perspective, that's what they were trying to do. Uh, But I just, I, I, the universe has a beautiful so, way. Are you, say, are you saying that in, in this moment,
1: in this incident, you lacked empathy?
0: Yeah, pro, you know, I'm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say I did. Uh, I lacked empathy because I, I was, I was frustrated already. Because we drive a truck. And it doesn't fit into all of the spaces <laughs> and I'm looking around for a spot and we've made this turn and that turn. And my wife is trying to direct me, but she's pointing her finger and I'm looking out the windshield, trying to see where where, where I'm going. If I said, which way do you want me to go? And she would say this way, I'm, this way, which direction, <laughs> you know, and I wasn't mad at her. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I was, I was upset at the situation and I'm just thinking that that happens even to leaders where they get upset at a situation. And boy, the universe for me has a beautiful way of uh, giving me my comeuppance when I get too big from my britches. And I would have to say that was probably one of those situations. They don't come along very often, uh, but it came up today and maybe it came up today for a very good reason that we're talking about today. And that's those seven secrets of responsive leadership, which is the title of your book. I want to let our listeners know your website is jjsadvising.com and we encourage you to go there. We'll be linked to your website as well. What do you think about uh, that the, the aspect of a leader who and maybe he's a very public figure could be, you know, could be the president, could be you know, someone in a high high position in a corporation, the CEO or what have you and just kind of in public kind of loses it a little bit. Mm-hmm. they're human, which I don't want to use as an excuse. Okay, I, I, I kind of have gotten tired of, it. well, we're only human. That just doesn't wash with me. Mm-hmm. In the sense that we, we need to be more conscious of what's going on. And I obviously was not at that moment. So I take responsibility for my attitude at that moment, my mm-hmm. frustration. It was mine. It wasn't, I didn't put it on that, pers- that other person or my wife. It was, I own it. Mm-hmm. What about a leader acknowledging, not just to self, but even to people who might have been around, I messed up, uh, I, I crossed a line that I really don't want anybody else to be crossing because it's not helpful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It interferes with the flow of what we're trying to accomplish in where, wherever we are thoughts in that regard
1: so you know so what you what you're reflecting on are sort of you know encompassed in these big four the big four that I call that I describe as the big four Mm -hmm. uh, are a whole lot of sub values sub attributes that we as leaders grow in in our confidence in ourselves as we this is part of resilience because if you have experienced some things in your life then you know you know you you have the ability to, to be more courageous you have the ability to be more self-reflective so even the incidents that you described this morning as a leader you were you were self-reflective that in that includes curiosity. That includes empathy. That includes humility. You know, I maybe have goofed up with this lady. She was trying to go man, whoever it was. They were trying to be nice. That's a sense of humility. So when we have self-reflection as leaders and we have the opportunity to look at incidents and how they shaped us, how they helped us or hindered us, in making our decisions and and when we've made a big mistake in a company. You know when we have have actually screwed up. We have the ability to find out that we're human that other people have done this had the same kinds of mistakes. Uh, I talk about in my book. Uh, in In my chapter about opposition and understanding the opposition that also helps us to understand how we deal with people. And so I would say that the leader who has really um, done what you talked about at the beginning of this show or is continuously doing it, because mm-hmm. we're, we're always growing, right, Richard? We're always, mm-hmm. We are always transitioning. As humans, we are always in a mode of transition um, I think very often when we get into a position, we think, well, we're the leader, we're here, but you're actually transitioning from one position to the next. You're transitioning from one experience to the next experience. And how we absorb those experiences, how we use those experiences, will determine how we do in the next and the Two experiences down the road and so on. So when you talk about the leader that has a hard time publicly admitting to a mistake, well, sometimes they're not mistakes and you don't have to always, a mistake is a mistake. You don't have to always, if you feel like, well, I can't admit to a mistake, you can talk about growth. You can talk about how I learned from this. How as a leader, what I'm learning, how I'm adjusting. Um, so those are, are, I think, some of the skills and talents that we all can put in our toolbox. So when as leaders, we have we have toolboxes that we can actually use. Sometimes we have to use the toolbox of being very, very um, uh, some people may consider it rigid. I have to stick to the budget. Or sometimes we can use, put in our toolbox, uh, how we use teams. Sometimes it's the team that will help us to understand how we can make this adjustment or make this uh, move to you know advance our organization. So, um, I think the ability to acknowledge um, growth spurts, growth opportunities is a real sign of courage. It's a real sign of humility. It's a real sign of resilience. And those are our attributes that I think over time make us all, make us a very strong responsive leader. And I would say, if you can't demonstrate to your team, to your organization, to your company, to your group, your, your church, which whatever you're leading, if you can't demonstrate these attributes, uh, then I would ask you if you really think you're a responsive leader. You might be a leader in title, in name, because you are in a position, you are in a role. But the question is, what kind of leader are you? Mm-hmm. And what
0: kind of leader do you want to be? Um, does that make sense? It does indeed. We're talking with uh, Jackie Jenkins Scott, her website advising jjsadvising.com. The book is entitled The Seven Secrets of Responsive Leadership, and that's what we're talking about here today. Um, Now, you did make the comment that that everybody has the potential for being a leader. Uh, And we run into a real problem when we have a group of people that need a leader and more than one person wants to step up and lead. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there's a struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, We have... Uh, in this country we have of course uh, for governmental leadership we have elections mm-hmm. and then we have the campaign and we have all of that grappling going on during the campaign and then we and then one of these leaders is chosen mm-hmm. and they say that um, once that leader is chosen we're all supposed to join ranks and well you know, not necessarily i, I don't well, think, it was certainly well,
1: not in this country there's there's well nothing.
0: no no i I'm, I'm saying that that's usually the ideal the ideal yes. is yeah. that we will join ranks, lock arms, sing kubaya, and it'll all be hunky-dory, uh, skittles no, and bits. You want
1: to give them a chance. You want to give them a chance. You, you, you do.
0: That's why they always talk about for the presidency. It's always the first hundred days. See yeah, how they do. Yeah. I always found that interesting. That was the, considered the honeymoon. But um, what really troubles me about choosing a leader, especially in those circumstances, at whatever level, whatever from the top on down, is the words that are used. And many people that I've talked with have said, well, Richard, you're being very naive to think that what they've said during the campaign really means anything. And I sit there going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. It, what they said does mean something. The intent behind those words was to convince the voting public to choose them over that other person that they demeaned verbally. And then you're telling me that didn't mean anything? It did. Mm -hmm. And words, as I have said on this program, words have power. Let's talk about that, not just from the selection of leaders, but from the leaders themselves when they choose certain words and phrases. Uh, Let's talk about the power of words in the context of being a leader and how important that is to those people who... Choose, I say, choose to follow that leader. Because some people, they don't choose to follow that leader.
1: Sure. So, you know, you described uh, one situation of leadership, and that is where uh, people are selecting a leader. Very often, in the majority of our lives, in the majority of our circumstances that we find ourselves in, in, in in our own experiences, in our own lives, is we aren't selecting the leader. Right. You know, you are, you know, in high school, you get a, a teacher. That teacher is your leader mm-hmm. or you join a church. The church has a leader. Now, maybe the church will select a leader later on. But for the most of us, you know, on our job, I get assigned to a team. And that team has a leader, that team has a supervisor, that team has a mentor, that team has a manager, or, you know, you you go to work at a company, you go to work for a Fortune 500 company, and you're you're probably never going to see the leader, you're never going to meet the leader. So, Richard, I would say in the majority of our circumstances in life, we are not, uh, you know, selecting per se our Mm -hmm. leader. Okay.
0: Personally.
1: Good uh, point. You, you made the, the example of politics where we get to vote in a leader. Mm-hmm. And we get to do that, you know, whether it's, you know, for your city manager, city mayor, or, you know, governor of your state, or, or congressperson, or, you know, so every few years, we as the electorate, as the public, get to voice, make make our choices known. You know, the great Maya Angelou used to say, you know, something to the effect of when a person shows you who they are, believe them. So, you know, to your point about elections and about when we are selecting leaders, to me, our experience, our life experience, those core values, become very, very important. What are the core values of that person and how have they distributed, how have they shown them to us? How have they lived those core values? That's Mm -hmm. what Maya Angelou means when she says, when a person shows you who they are, believe them. So if, if, if we're voting on someone who says, oh, I believe in you know, um, let's just say I believe in every every person in my town should has have, have a guaranteed income, and everybody deserves you know a hundred thousand dollars a year. So if you go to Doha, or you go to certain Middle Eastern countries, the people who are in from those countries, that is their life. I you know when I the first time I went to Kutcher. And, you know, every person who is from Qatar has has a guaranteed income. So that's their core value. Mm -hmm. They have that core value. It has been handed down generation from generation. So if the next uh, monarch or king comes in and he says, you know, the men in Doha, and I haven't been there in about five years, at that time got something like $75,000 a year. If 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 the, if the 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 young prince who's going to be the next king says I'm going to take your seventy five dollars seventy five thousand no that's seventy five dollars seventy five thousand dollars a year they had a they had a, a very comfortable core uh, you know living standard of living mm-hmm. if you're voting on that this person has shown you what they believe who they are how what their values are what their core values are. So I think that the circumstance that you just described of, you know, the opportunity to vote, quote, vote on your leader, uh, you don't necessarily have to believe
0: Mm -hmm. everything
1: they say, what you, you have the opportunity to do. If you're curious, if you are a curious person, you have the opportunity to say, what has this person just demonstrated? in this person's life experience and maybe i'm voting on that as much as i'm voting on what they are saying Mm.
0: does that
1: make sense
0: yeah i see what you're saying and that makes it does make a lot of sense Uh, so so if in fact the majority of the uh the people the, the leaders that we come across are ones that are uh not elected they're already in position and we move into that particular I'll use the, the general term institution, or organization, maybe. Um, we take on the rules that are laid before us. Uh, we we don't go in there saying I'm just going to do whatever I want. Sure. Um, you know. And by the way, I'm I'm backtrack just a little bit on what you just said about people showing who they really are as opposed to telling you what they believe. Uh, I was for about a year and a half in the early 90s, 1990s, ladies and gentlemen, not 1890s. I was was a member of the Baha'i faith. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I learned about their governmental structure at the local, state, national, and international level. And how it was, how each of those levels is created. Mm -hmm. And I found it absolutely fascinating. And it it avoided all of the polarization that we experience today.
1: Sure,
0: sure. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar or not, but they have these.
1: Yeah, I went to, um, in Israel, their headquarters is. Yes, in in Haifa. uh, In Haifa. Beautiful, beautiful uh, facility.
0: International House of Justice. Mm Mm-hmm oh I, I i've seen pictures only
1: <laughs> oh, well it's, you have to go see it uh it's, it's incredibly beautiful very peaceful
0: yeah but i i i loved the concept of, of how when they hold elections you don't campaign yeah you live your life you behave in such a way that embodies the principles of the baha'i faith if you will or just of common human decency if you will (laughs) and that if people see that and they like what they see as you just described from your paraphrasing my angelo um then you become a member of that body of nine Mm. wow and when you are in that body of nine you accept the rules the procedures the protocols Mm -hmm. for example uh, if I had a problem, I would go to that council and I would say, I have this problem, blah, 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 blah. And they mm-hmm. would say, all right, give us, give us some time. We'll talk about it and we'll give you our, we'll give you our suggestion to help you with this issue. Sure. And as they, you know, they talk about it, when they give ideas for the solution, if you will, mm-hmm. or the resolution, whatever it might be, once that idea is put out on the table, it no longer belongs to the individual. It belongs to the group. Oh. oh my. Then, when they vote, just as our Supreme Court votes, you may have unanimous mm-hmm. and you may have uh, a majority vote oh. and a minority vote. Uh-huh. But the minority, part of the protocol, mm-hmm. once the vote is taken and there is a decision made, the minority accepts the decision of the collective nine. Mm-hmm. All right. It's not necessarily they change their votes. It's okay. This is the decision we have made. Whether I voted in favor of it or not, I accept the decision of the council. And then they tell me, here's the solution. Here's the resolution. Uh, And if this does not resolve the situation, please come back and we'll, we'll, we'll take it up again. And that's how they deal with things.
1: But that doesn't get down to the level of the parishioner, does it? You're talking about big policy for the whole
0: faith. Well, it is possible that they may they may deal with for that community, or for the state, or for the, the, that particular country. Uh, I, I, I don't know, I would have to look into what the International House of Justice, uh, uh, what are some of the issues that they've dealt with, but obviously they deal with international issues. Mm-hmm. So um, See, I would say take that that's- one
1: step further, Richard, because sure. one of sure. the chapters in my book is, mm-hmm. I call it keep your bags packed.
0: Yes. Because
1: <laughs> when we are in circumstances particularly professional circumstances and i heard this i'll tell you a quick story richard i was a graduate student at boston university and this was many decades ago i won't tell you how many decades ago (laughs) but um so we had a guest speaker who was the at that time the very first African-American Commissioner for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, uh, the Commissioner of Corrections. So he had come here from another state. And he gave this speech, this lecture to, uh, to, to a group of students, and he titled it, Keep Your Bags Packed. Now you would think, you know, okay, so what is he talking about? Basically, he told us, and I will never forget this speech, is that in life, we are going to find times when we are asked to compromise our core values, our Mm. core beliefs as professionals. And if you have an attitude, a mentality of understanding what your line in the sand is, how much, because we all have to change and modify and have some flexibility, right, if we're going to grow. Mm-hmm. But at some point, sometimes we are asked to compromise in a way that you know, really is, uh, hits at our core values, and we are unable to be as affected. And that was when he said, you have to have the attitude of I keep my bags packed. And if I have that attitude. At some point, because we all have choice in life, we have a choice. And he urged us as students to have the choice of keeping your bags packed because it will keep you on your toes for knowing what your core values are, how -hmm. much you're going to be compromised. So if you have a core value that honesty is important, and you ran a job where you have an opportunity to get a little extra money on the side by doing, if, if that really impends on your core value, you have to excuse yourself from that opportunity. You have to excuse yourself from that job. And he said to us, this is why I have sometimes not stayed in these very high positions very long, because I would get in those positions And my core values would be tested to a point that I could not sustain my integrity, my sense of purpose, my sense of mission, my sense of who I am. And that's when I leave. So he stayed in that job about 18 months. He didn't make it very long because at that time, Massachusetts had a very, very, Correction system had a huge patronage system where you know the people who got the jobs were the nephew of somebody else or in, and he couldn't he couldn't break it down he couldn't yeah. change that patronage system and so he only made it for about eighteen months so why am I bringing this up right now in this conversation that we're having? Mm-hmm. It's because, uh, especially, you talked about this moment of reflection. Uh, it, it's very important for us as leaders, those of us who are in leadership positions, to understand what drives us. Where are our, our lines in the sand? How much am I willing to compromise who, what I believe in? What my core values are? And when you get to that point, do I have the courage? Do I have the ability to say, you know, I am going to bounce back. If I step out of this, you know, this door, what appears to be closing in my career right now may actually be the opening for me to find something different, something that will allow me to be, to be able to operate with a sense of wholeness and integrity and that I can make a contribution so we are always I think challenged as leaders and this business of that's why I start my book off talking about the big four what for me those big four encompasses um, the core values that will drive us as we make our decisions in our companies, in our organizations, in our schools, in our churches, in our in our elections, in our public elections, all of us will have the opportunity to look at these individuals who are running to be our leaders. So that um, that chapter in my book that that's that's my chapter number three, and mm-hmm. I call it "Keep Your Bags Packed." Um, mm-hmm. And it is about a mentality, a philosophy, a way of, you know, we don't, it's not driving everything you do in your work because we are all challenged. You know, if we're, in, if we're in a leadership role, if you are a leader that is not being challenged, then I would submit to you, and we can have a conversation about this, that you're not a leader. If you're Mm. a leader, if you're in a leadership role where you have no opposition, then something is wrong. Because if we're, if we're really moving an organization, there will be opposition. And that's one of the other chapters in my book, chapter five, understand the opposition. So, um, I, I just bring those two things together, uh, for, for your, for your audience to think about uh, in their leadership roles. Whether you're the leader in your household, you're gonna have some opposition, you know. You're gonna have some hard decisions to make. Do we go out and buy a new car? Or do we save for the new house? That could be a very core value. New car, I look good. I'm driving down the street. Or you say new car, I can get to work feel comfortable getting to work. Saving that money for a new house says one other thing about me. I am thinking about the future. I am thinking about where we need to be. And maybe I can't do both. Very, very tough decisions. And so often our decisions, there's not necessarily a right or wrong. Right, yeah. you know, Our new house, there's no right or wrong here. It's really understanding who we are, what's driving our decisions.
0: Well, I'll tell you, um, this conversation is, is, I think, extremely important for each of us, not, in, not just in terms of the leadership that we see out there or see in our workplace, but the leadership that we take on. Mm-hmm. Uh, If we choose to do that, as you say, we all have the potential, but have we, you know, how many of us are given the opportunity? And I've been given the opportunity a number of times uh, and um, where I'm at now, uh, I'm sort of a pseudo supervisor only because the boss, he's, he's obviously here quite regularly, which is, which is a good thing. Um, But I've been working here at this particular station for now over what, 12 years? And uh, which is a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Something must be working right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I really do enjoy it. Uh, I have been given uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of latitude, especially when it comes to doing uh, side projects and things of this nature, which, is, which has been great. Uh, because it, you know, and of course, always the one thing that I remember, not only from the standpoint of his philosophy of, you know, we're here to serve. Uh, but also as long as it doesn't interfere with the operations of the business and the station, you go to town. Go
1: for it. Uh
0: And um, I know that there are a lot of leaders, supervisors, managers, whatever the name is, who come from so many different schools of thought. And I would have to say that my first commercial station back in 1980, when I started working for a religious station. Um, My boss's philosophy, primarily when it came to doing work was, uh, he lived by, if it wasn't Murphy's Law, which (laughs) I don't live by, uh, he also lived by the Law of Diminishing Returns. And when I finally understood what that meant, I'm going, what good is that? Because if you live by the law of diminishing returns, then you're not really being of service to anybody, let alone yourself. Mm-hmm. You are not helping anybody because unless you are guaranteed that you're going to get back at least equal to what you're putting out, then you aren't going to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, case in point, a, a client, a programmer, came to the boss and said, I've got these reel to reels, I want to transfer them to cassette and I want to make them into the programs that I want to air on the radio station. And I said, and he said, okay, sure. And I said, yeah, we can do that. And so I went for the next two weeks and I did that. Uh, about two weeks after that, and he was only on for six weeks, he canceled. Okay. And that was his example of the law of diminishing returns. And I thought, well, wait a minute. How is, is it the
1: boss canceled? The boss canceled? No, no, no.
0: The client canceled. Oh. The client decided after six weeks, uh, and, and actually it was at four weeks, he asked for the project. And when I was done at the end of six weeks, he decided he was going to cancel because he just couldn't afford it.
1: Oh, okay.
0: and um, and I thought, well, to me, that's not the law of diminishing returns, because what we showed him was that we're here and we provide a service. And that is whatever it is that the client needs. If we can do it, we will. We'll 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 do whatever we can to try to to give the client what they want. It also means that when he goes and tells other people about this radio station, he's going to tell them that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was only there for six weeks, but boy, they treated me like, like I was the most important person in the world. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't believe in the law of diminishing returns, because if that's the case, then you cannot really be truly of service.
1: Could that have been in a, a situation, Richard, where there wasn't a clear understanding of what the return was. I mean, did he understand clearly this is the cost and this is, you know, the 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 return on the investment, this is going to cost this for us to to do these and here's where I'm going to get my return because that's very often what happens in certain situations that are perceived as, as not being successful we had a misunderstanding or a miss, we, we didn't have the, the enough data, enough information to make a good decision. So he made a very poor decision. It could have been, he should have never done this in the first place because he didn't understand what the investment was going to yield for him.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I'll, I'll use a, another example. As supervisor there, I would hire employees to run the programming Mm -hmm. they would sit behind the console and run the tapes and the live shows and so forth and when we would uh, hire them uh, we would give them a job description basically and one of the jobs was okay we need to you need to vacuum the rugs every so often because we did not have a cleaning service out there we were working at the transmitter site and the the bathroom has to be cleaned which means the toilet too and so on and so forth and I would get comments like well you guys don't pay me enough to do that and this was after they were hired. And I said, well, first of all, we told you what the job description was, number one. And number two, we have a lot of people that are coming in and out of here. And we need to make sure that presentation is everything. And we need to make sure that our presentation is a, a polished presentation, clean bathroom, clean floors, and so on and so forth. Um, and... I thought about that philosophy that these, some of these people that we'd hired uh, were living by. And I thought, you know, if, if, if I took that position, then I wouldn't be putting out what I put out in the way of, of a service to our programmers and our advertisers and so forth. And I began to take a look at the exchange. See, I personally believe that there is a universal law of exchange. You cannot escape it if there's a giver there's a got to be a receiver and if there's a receiver there has to be a giver and you are both you become both mm-hmm. and as i began to take a look at the things that i was doing for that station and 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 the work that i was doing which i really enjoyed i began to take a look at what i was getting in exchange yes i was getting a paycheck but i was making minimum wage i was making a minimum wage from the day i started in 1980 at 365 an hour After 15 years, I was making $7.35 an hour. Wow. All right? So I could have taken that other position, that other philosophy of, you guys don't pay me enough to go out of my way. I was given the opportunity to do interviews to fill some slots in the evening hours. And so I used to do interviews just like this one and hundreds and hundreds of others. And I began to calculate, not mathematically, but just, you know, What kind of exchange is going on here? Yes, I get the paycheck, but gee, I've been given this opportunity to do these interviews, which I really enjoy. Uh, I get the materials, whether it's a book or a CD or or whatever it is. Uh, I get the contact. I get the conversation. I get the connection, the relationship with this new person. And over 15 years, it was hundreds, if not, I don't know, a couple thousand, maybe more. Mm -hmm. and I started to tabulate it from that standpoint. What am I getting back that isn't coming through the paycheck? Now, as I said, the law of, uh, the universal law of of exchange, it exists, it's there, but it doesn't necessarily come back the way you think or expect it to. And I'm wondering about instilling that kind of perspective into the people that you might be leading that are in maybe small businesses, small organizations, and so forth?
1: Well, I think that part of, you know, leadership is really understanding the clear, having a clear understanding of the environment that I'm operating in as a leader. Some environments are much more structured, Some environments are not structured and they need structure. And so the workers are really get frustrated because there's not structure. Some environments have too much structure. We have a heavy handed. So in that circumstance that you described, even though you told the person that you were hiring, um, you know, this is what's expected. Everybody does clean the bathrooms. If it's not perceived as equally distributed, this work of cleaning the bathrooms, vacuuming the floor, or whatever. So maybe in that circumstances, that circumstance, we needed to use the toolbox that's in our leadership toolbox of structure. And you know, sometimes um, the team has to have clarity about roles and responsibilities. So maybe it's something as simple as we clean the bathroom three times a week and here's the rotating schedule. And that structure also creates responsibility, it creates accountability, it creates the ability for us to make an assessment and to evaluate who's doing what they agreed to do and who isn't. So mm-hmm. I, I, I would just say that leadership is also and, and that's where curiosity comes in.
0: Because
1: mm. we're curious about the environment that we're functioning in. We're going to try to figure out what's the best way for our, for myself, you know, personally, for me to be successful. What is the best environment for us to create? That's the responsiveness for people to be able to be successful, mm-hmm. be able to operate at their optimum to be able to have the opportunity to evolve, to grow, to develop. And leadership says, some environments are going to work and others aren't. And how am I, am I curious enough to figure out what's going to work for my team? What's yeah, gonna yeah. work in my household? Mm-hmm. I now have five kids. <laughs> you know, They all have a different personality and I'm the leader. How are yeah. we going to create the environment that's going to allow us to work, to be able to, to thrive? I used to um, when I first became a college president. The college that I became president was was struggling. You know, we had um, decreasing enrollment. We you know had didn't have a large enough endowment. We had facilities that were outdated. So we were struggling. And my goal was how to get us from struggling to thriving. And the responsive leader is looking, how do we help our organization, our people, to be in a position where they can thrive? Now they can, they also have choice for whatever's going on in their life, they don't wanna thrive. They don't wanna take take advantage of the opportunity. Maybe they can't take advantage of the opportunity. They have too many things happening for them, but our role as the leader is to give them that, to try to put in place those opportunities for the student to grow. Maybe the student is not going to be able to really grow, but if we can give that student that opportunity, then free will and choice comes in. We get to make a choice. We get to make a choice on who we're going to elect. Now, if we don't take advantage of that choice, we decide not to vote, then we can't complain about whoever else took advantage of it. So those are some of the principles when I think about leadership uh, that I try to discuss uh, in my book, Seven Secrets of Responsive Leadership.
0: When we encourage people to get a copy, I'm sure it's available on Amazon as well as your website, jjsadvising.com. Uh, Jackie Jenkins, uh, Jackie Jenkins, Scott has been my guest, and uh, this has just been a, a wonderful conversation. Uh, I'm hoping that folks uh, picked up a lot. I know that, that for me, uh, and this was sort of a lesson I learned from my, my best friend, he and I went through high school and college together. We still we still communicate. He lives back in Phoenix, which is my hometown. Uh-huh. Uh, I now live in Santa Barbara. And one of the things that he has shared with me uh, in his leadership uh, uh, skills, if you will, or, or management skills, uh, was he would never ask a, one of his employees to do something he was not willing to do, like clean the bathroom he mm-hmm. would clean the bathroom yeah i saw him do it that's a skill in the box. yeah and so when the, his employees saw him doing that they realized oh well i guess if he can do it then so can i yeah, yeah. and it won't take that long and it's not te- permanent it's temporary yeah. it'll only take 10 or 15 minutes and then it's over i can move back into the store area and and uh and so forth and so on and lead that's something by example. that you lead by example, lead that's, by example, technique. Absolutely. Technique. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I'm always uh, so thankful for his friendship that we've had. Uh, I I hesitate to even say, uh, for nearly 50 of our 60 uh, years. Uh, he's fabulous. 60. He's also 60 this year. Mm-hmm. I just turned 60 myself. And, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun um, uh, to, to – to, he, he and I have even swapped stories about some of our, our, our foibles and some of our successes and so forth. One of the things that I have come to realize too, uh, Jackie, is that one of the most important rules that I have tried to live by just as someone who is in service to others is that I am not doing this to be successful. I am doing this, especially if it's in a project for someone else, and nine times out of ten it is. I am doing this to make them successful, because if they're successful, then I'm successful.
1: Yeah, that's a
0: good point. And and uh, so I, I guess I guess that's one of the things empathy. I'm that's called empathy. Yeah. I guess one of the things I'm going to need to do is I'm going to sit down following this interview. I don't know who that person was this morning, uh, but I'm just going to kind of send out a little prayer, a little energy, and thank them for their consideration, their kindness, if you will, Uh, and um, uh, forgive me for my rudeness, (laughs) Uh, as well as, I guess, forgive myself and, and say, hey, you know what? You know it happens, and you're gonna. You know it's you move on. You move on. And and life is still good. And you used an interesting phrase just a few minutes ago. That I use as well. Uh, different word to start with, uh, but this program and what we're about with Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World is, we're wanting to take people from survival mode to thrival mode and through these techniques in your book the seven secrets to responsive leadership uh, that is a good start for anybody i would say and i thank you so much for sharing your story and i do have three final questions for you before we wrap up Um, but I want to remind our listeners that we're here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We do stream live at richarddugan.com, and the podcast broadcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations. If you can support us financially, we have PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours, and please get involved with 2020, the year of perfect vision, uh, and to spend some time, as I'm going to do later, um, to find that peaceful, calm place, uh, maybe even a place of forgiveness for self, for some of the things that we've done uh, to ourselves, and maybe we've kind of acted out to others uh, I even owe a, a, not only a debt of gratitude, but also an apology uh, uh, and uh, asking forgiveness of my wife because she had to deal with that, and she shouldn't have to deal with that. That's that's just not not good. Uh, so take some time here in 2020, the year of perfect vision, to do that. So the first of three questions that I have for you are, number one, who is Jackie Jenkins Scott? Oh, my goodness, <laughs>
1: Am I supposed to answer that in one second? Well, I am a mother, I am a daughter, I am a role model, I am a leader. Uh, Jackie Jenkins Scott is many, many things. Um, First of all, I'm an imperfect human trying to be a good person. I guess that's (laughs) a long answer. Wife
0: what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now?
1: I think, you know, what we all strive for is to be of value and service. And so I hope that if any way I can, in the organizations that I have touched, the people I have come across, uh, I can be of value and service. Um, then I think, you know, that's, that's all we can, we can ask for.
0: And finally, what is your life's purpose? Oh my
1: goodness, what is my life purpose? I think we're all struggling to um, use our experiences for the good. At some point, we wanna feel at the end of the day We have, um, we have been of service. We have made a contribution whether it's to an individual, to a person, to a community. Um, so I, I guess I would say to be of service.
0: Well, Jackie, I feel led as often on this program because uh, the universe is the one that asks the questions. I'm just too long for the ride. Okay. (laughs) Um, Is there anything that you would like to add to what we've talked about thus far? Any message that you would like to leave with our listeners uh, to help them to either, A, uh, become a better leader in whatever capacity in life they might be, or B, to understand the role of leadership as they are, that they may be under, if you will.
1: Wow. Well, I think if we keep, keep seeking, if we keep asking questions, if we remain curious, if we remain humble, uh, if we remain empathetic, um, and we remain resilient, uh, we are the most important thing is that we feel like we are continuing to grow and to be better and to get better uh, as people, as a human being, as a leader. Um, And that allows us to um, remove from ourselves uh, the feeling of guilt, because I think that's one of the biggest things that holds us back, is that we Mm -hmm. feel guilty, that I haven't done enough, or I should have done this, or I didn't do that. Um, And so that ability to uh, continue to seek perspective um, Mm -hmm. will help us to grow in our leadership journey.
0: Well, thank you for that. Uh, I've got to work on that then. (laughs) Uh, Well, we're all working on it. I know, I know, we all are. That's one of the things that I I share on this program regularly. I haven't got it down yet, folks. I don't care how many interviews I do and talk with people. Uh, By the way, uh, just so you know, you have been my therapist for the day. (laughs)
1: and i appreciate
0: your therapist for the day it was a great honor (laughs) well thank you and i thank you again for joining us and i thank you for listening to tell me your story new paradigms for a new world as i say all the time we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true and until our next broadcast podcast love talal